You're listening to Speaking of Quality, Wealth Management Insights with Hank Smith, a podcast by the Haverford Trust Company. On Speaking of Quality, Hank chats with authors, influencers, and wealth management experts to bring a sense of clarity and calm to the complexity and stress of personal finance. And now, here's your host, Hank Smith. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Quality, Wealth Management Insights. I'm your host, Hank Smith, Director and Head of Investment Strategy at the Haverford Trust Company. On this podcast, we explore topics ranging from quality investing, retirement resilience, stock market trends, estate planning, behavioral psychology, and more. So we're speaking to a 2021 Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame college basketball coach whose resume includes two national championships in 2016 and 2018 eight Big East regular season titles, and a gold medal as an assistant for the U.S. Olympic men's basketball team. Our guest for this episode is Jay Wright, former head coach of the Villanova Wildcats and current CBS sports analyst. We explored Jay's approach to coaching, succession planning, and the lessons we can apply to wealth management. Jay, welcome to the show. Great to be here with you, Hank. Jay, I've just been dying to ask this question uh, of you. Um, you were considered the best-dressed college basketball coach. In, in fact, uh, in 2016, the Los Angeles Times uh, described your dress as cooler than James Bond. Then a couple of years later, you're in athleisure wear. Yeah. What, what happened? Yeah. Well, COVID first. First, COVID hit, and uh, we, we, we went casual. There was no one in the stands. So we wore, um, you know, just kind of golf pants and and kind of sweatshirts and really Hank it it, it made sense because it would always drive me crazy you know you're you're at the game and you're in a huddle and the guys are leaning over you and they're dripping sweat on the back of your suit and you're like what why am I in a suit here but as long as that was the tradition I was going to try to do it well so there's always been a tradition in coaching of wearing suits so once we had the vote and what's funny is they in our big east meetings they said all right let's Let's let Jay decide. Jay will decide on suits. And I said, no, let's go casual. Everybody was in shock. <laughs> well, just for our audience, we're still in suits here at the Haverford Talk <laughs> Company. But if you're and looking good, if, if you're working from home, you can be as casual as you'd like. Well, Jay, you certainly must have saved thousands on your dry cleaning bill with that, cha- with that <laughs> De- change. Most definitely. <laughs> Another thing I'd love you to comment on, when you uh, came to Villanova in 2001, the endowment was about $170 million. Uh, today, it's over $1.2 billion. And I've got to believe that your success with the basketball program played a large role in the growth in that endowment and the fundraising. Well, thank you, Hank. That That is something that we take great pride in, the growth of the entire university. Um, while, while we have been there and the the part that the basketball program has played in that. And, and the business school has done the same, the engineering school, arts and sciences, the law school has grown. And, and it's really something that our leadership, Father Peter Donahue, most recently, Father Edmund Dobbin before him realized that in, instead of having little fiefdoms that, that try to compete against each other within, within our university, that the overall university mission was gonna be um, grown uh, by everyone being successful and really investing in everyone and all of us taking pride in each other. And it, and it really has shown 
uh, to be impactful. And, and as, as our basketball team has grown, our business schools become one of the top in the country, our nursing schools one of the top in the country, and the endowment, as you mentioned, is really important, and that's grown. So it sounds like uh, the adage, success begets success, and it transcends not just in athletics, but also academics and, and the whole uh, university life. So true. Um, you know, high tide raises all boats, and it's so true. And it's But it's hard within an organization, as you know, when you you seem you have budgets right and you're trying to compete for funds but there's there's got to be an, an understanding from the leadership um that we've all got to help each other uh, become successful because it's gonna it's gonna help one another and the business school is a simple example our recruits um were always interested in being a part of the business school probably couldn't get in there on their own if they weren't basketball recruits. So we know the business school helped us and obviously they always let us know how much we helped them. Jay, let's let's transition to uh, your coaching career. Um, and as a preface, um, I might just add, you know, at Haverford, we're always looking for top talent, but when we recruit uh, new uh, employees, first on the list is, will they fit into the culture and DNA of our firm? Because if, if that isn't first on the list, it's almost impossible to create a, a cohesive team effort. And I suspect uh, that is true of your coaching career at Villanova, where you placed a priority on cultural fit and buying into uh, the, the DNA of the Villanova uh, basketball program. Right on, Hank. And to uh, use your example, you know, obviously, Haverford Trust has to look at a, uh, a a level of talent and intelligence. So they, you've got your pool, right, of people that are talented and intelligent. And within that pool, some are more talented, more intelligent than others, but there's a certain level you have to have. Same way with basketball. There's a certain level of talent, so let's not, let's not avoid that. But once you get to that level, that you have to choose which ones you really want to make a part of your program and ultimately your culture and as the head coach or a leader like yourself everyone's counting on you to bring in people that fit that culture because if everyone's buying in while they're there and you're bringing in people that don't fit your actions and your choices are making a statement to the people that are involved at the time that it's really not that important we're just going for talent right and so we have a saying that um when, when you come out of the locker room, there's there's a big sign that says, be a part of people that are on the same mission as you. And and that's our job as leaders to constantly um, in, enhance the mission and, and make sure that everyone's committed to our mission. But then as we recruit talent, make sure we're finding talent that doesn't necessarily have to be perfect fit when they get there, but we have to discern that they have the ability and and the desire to want to learn our culture right and and sometimes you get real talented people that don't look like a great fit in the beginning but they want to learn and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves how much harder today is it to uh, build that kind of team with um athletes leaving early to the pros with the transfer portal and now the NIL. And if you yeah. could describe to our audience what the NIL is, that'd be great. It is a, a grand new challenge. Um, 
the goal is still the same. That we, we want to keep our culture strong and we wanted to be committed to our culture and our mission, not necessarily necessarily the results. If we feel like if we keep our culture strong and we're committed to our mission, that we'll live with the results of that. And to, and to your question, now in, in college athletics, the student athletes can receive payment for their name, image, and likeness, which is really covering a broad spectrum of opportunities for them. They, they can make a lot of money. The transfer portal, portal is such that a, a student at the end of every season can just decide to go to another school and they can play immediately for the other school. In the past, you used to have to sit out a year, which would deter a lot of transfers. And then obviously leaving early for the, the NBA, which I think is being affected by NIL. Guys are staying a little bit longer, but that creates incredible challenges for us in finding new talent, definitely retaining talent, and then keeping our roster strong, which, um, you know, in, in relation to Haverford Trust, that would be um, keeping our roster strong was, would be keeping continuity in your in your leadership and, and the growth of people coming up through your through your culture, right? That's it's really difficult now. But that's where we've got to spend a little bit more time and maybe a lot more time on designing a new uh, process to keep the culture the same. And, and maybe changing um, some previous uh, actions that we might not do. Like a, a simple thing is you, you've got to change. Uh, we used to not allow any layups uh, we, in, a, in a game. If anybody had a breakaway layup, we'd take a hard foul. Well, they changed the rules. That, that's, now, that's now a flagrant foul and the penalty is such that you can't do that anymore. So we had to change the way we played defense but we still want to play great defense. And it's the same thing with our culture. We still want guys that want to come there to be the best student, the best person, and the best player they can be. But understand it, they can leave at any time. Uh, they're going to make money while they're there, but the culture has got to remain the same. I've got to ask you, did the transfer portal and the NIL play into your thinking about uh, retiring? Most people would think at a pretty young age, uh, did that play into it at all? You know, it did a little bit, Hank. And I, I don't want to, to be honest, I don't want to say, well, you know, college basketball was changing, so I wanted to, to get out. It, 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 it was a part of my decision in that I realized we had younger guys on our staff and within our system uh, coming up behind me that I thought, we're going to be much better in that new era of college basketball than me. I could do it, and I did for a couple years, but I felt like that was part of the reason. Besides my inability to give what I deemed 100%, we, we had a saying that with our players, you're either 100% in or you're against us. And, and I felt like I wasn't able to give 100% anymore and, and our president was great. He, he said to me one time, um, well, 70% of you is, is better than anybody else. We'll, we'll take that. And I said, I said, that's very flattering. And I really appreciate that. But I can't ask our guys to give 100% if I know that I'm not doing it every day. That was the main part of it. But to your question, I was always monitoring uh, 
where college basketball is going. And I knew at some time our younger guys were, were so much more comfortable and creative in this new era than I was. Um, there was part of my experience that helped us in, in, in this new era. But going forward, and I think Kyle Neptune now, our head coach, uh, he is much more creative, uh, much more aggressive in this new culture, I think, than I would have been. And that's one of the things that led me to believe it was time for a change. So your retirement wasn't a spur of the moment decision. You had actually been thinking about it for a while and and you had actually had a succession plan uh, with your with your assistants. Uh, that's got to be very important for the transition of a, you know, of a great program. Yeah, I, I learned it from uh, fellow members of our, of our board of trustees at Villanova, some CEOs that, that I, I knew were always concerned about succession plans with with our president, you know, with our athletic director, you know, with their companies. And so it made me always think um, our staff was built where um, our assistant coaches were always being groomed to be head coaches. I was always looking to create leaders that could take over for me. I didn't want them to take over for me for a long time, but I was always watching to see um, who would grow into um, the type of assistant coaches and then eventually associate head coaches. Then they would go off and get their own head coaching job. But myself and our athletic director were always discussing who was in position to take over one day. And, and really, Hank, we would have that discussion thinking that I was a long way from retirement. But what was value, valuable about those discussions was it kind of hit me quick. I th the, the, the summer of the Olympics and, and the, it, I, I think the way the Olympics were set up in Japan, it was, it was really difficult in, in that it was, you know, no one could come with us, no family members, no fans. We were quarantined in Tokyo. The basketball part of it was a dream for me, but it was difficult. And then I came home and immediately was the Hall of Fame. And then we started another season. We went to the Final Four. It was, I think it all just built up on me and I just knew, but we were prepared because of those discussions we always had. And and I also knew I could do it at that time because we actually had three gentlemen who were all prepared. They were different spots. One was our associate head coach, two were former assistants who were head coaches. The most difficult part was picking one of them and then keeping the other two engaged. And what what's came to be uh, really beneficial to us is one of those guys is Kyle Neptune. He's the head coach. One of those guys is Baker Dunleavy. He's come back to be the general manager. And one of those guys has gone on to the University of Buffalo, George Alkovich, and has become a head coach on his own. So it, it worked out for everyone. I don't know if it always works that way, but I'm very pleased that it did. You alluded to this earlier, Jay, but um, Villanova recruits true student athletes. And I think you mentioned that you have a 100% graduation rate, which is extraordinary when you think of big time division one college athletics, whether it's basketball or football, a, a lot of them aren't uh, students at all, uh, yet that's something that you really valued and it must 
be a, a real of for those graduates that don't go to pro basketball um they are so much better off for it yeah hank that is what i'm most proud of um you you and i talked earlier about the growth of our university but individually to the people that played for us i'm so proud that uh, every one of them that stayed four years got their degree and they all stayed four years we had a few leave early for the mba and they've come back to work on on, on getting their degrees uh, so that's was the basis of why I got into coaching uh, as as an educator, and and I loved every part of that. That's an area that that we talked about in the future for us at Villanova. That's got to continue to be a core part of our culture. And how do we do this with the transfer portal now? Can we still have a hundred percent graduation rate? I think of the guys that stayed for that stay for four years. Yes, we can do that. Will everybody stay for four years now? Right. I, I, I don't know. And then if you do bring in a transfer, we've got to still uh, determine that they have the ability to get their degree, or it's not worth coming in. And you don't want to pick Villanova unless that's your goal is to get your degree. And and so part of that transfer process for us now, and this is all new. Uh, as we talked about is when you're looking at a transfer we have to put together a plan that you can get your degree and that's got to be part of the purpose you come to villanova throughout your coaching career at villanova uh, you were approached uh, at different times by professional teams to be a head coach you were approached by different division one college programs uh, to coach did you ever seriously entertain the mba and uh, why did you stay at Villanova for uh, the 22 years you were, you were there? It's interesting to have that conversation now, Hank, because no one will use it against me in recruiting. So I can tell you the real stories. <laughs> I never could say this when, when I was coaching because another coach would say, see, he did think about going to the NBA. He's not going to be there if you go there. But when Ed Stefanski was the uh, president of uh, the Sixers, there was one time I was – seriously considered it was my hometown team and and i really thought highly of ed he was the president i thought we'd work really well together um and i had uh talks with him and all the time i did that i you know our president father peter donahue knew um but in in the end that that was the most serious of, of all the opportunities i had but in the end i always thought uh Maybe I would like to coach in the NBA one day, but usually those jobs are short-lived. You can make a lot of money, but they're short-lived. And then what would I want to do if one of those jobs ended? Well, I'd want to coach at a place like Villanova. And I thought, I'm here, right? Why take that chance, you know, maybe for ego or a little bit more money when I'm, I'm doing what I love and I'm definitely being compensated well. Um, I've got enough, right? So, uh, I never wanted to leave Villanova uh, to to take the chance somewhere else because I knew I loved being a part of the Villanova mission and I didn't want to mess with happy. Um, I did think maybe at some day I would finish coaching college and if anything ever changed at Villanova, I might try the NBA and end my career in the NBA. But as we discussed earlier, it hit me that uh, I did not have the the energy to give a hundred percent to coaching and and I wanted to try new things and it's fun doing these things discussing 
leadership, culture, um, and and, um, and and mission with executives and leaders like yourself. Am I right in in this observation that being a head professional coach uh, is not as much work as a head basketball coach because you're working year round. You're when you're not coaching, you're recruiting. You're being pulled by the development team. You're being pulled by the academic uh, programs, and and so really, it's 365 days a year. Yeah, exactly. They're completely different jobs. Uh, being a head basketball coach in the NBA and a head coach in college are completely different jobs. And it's funny. I have friends of mine who have come from the NBA uh, to to be head coaches in college. After a while, they'll say to me, "Wow, I did not know it was all this," uh, because. In college, you're you're almost like a parent. Also, to your point, 365 days a year, you're concerned about these student athletes, and you're responsible for them. You know, anything that they do, you're responsible for, and their development and their growth every day, on and off the court, you're responsible for, like your own children. Whereas in the NBA, you're responsible for what they do on the basketball court and coaching. If someone gets involved with something off the court that's that's not your responsibility you don't you don't and in the off season they're they're grown men they're doing what they do you're off you're away from them there's never that time we we had time in may and august about there was two or three weeks in may or end august where we would give our time, guys free time to come home uh other than that we were with them all the time but even at that time when we were when they were home we were responsible for them and we were in communication with them and we had a plan for what they should be doing when they were home. So it was 365. That's part of my retirement idea is, was that I didn't have the energy every day to be committed to them. And I think you need that as a college basketball coach. Well, let's talk a little bit about your transition, um, your new career with uh, CBS. You just finished the first year uh, as an uh, analyst. Did that meet your expectations, exceed your expectations? And talk about uh, the different kind of preparation that you had to do to be a uh, analyst. It's been really interesting, Hank, um, because I have a, a combined contract with CBS and Warner Brother Discovery Sports, uh, who is everyone knows as TNT. Um, so during the season with CBS, uh, during the regular season, I'm doing games with Bill Raftery and different play-by-play guys, which is one part of the, the broadcasting world. And then with Warner Brothers Discovery, during the NCAA tournament, I'm doing their uh, their studio shows um, with Kenny the Jet Smith and Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley, which is a totally different <laughs> broadcasting experience. So uh, it's interesting how the professionals in broadcasting uh, have thrown me into this and, and they know the business and, and I've learned after going through a year uh, they don't want you thinking too much they they, they kind of hired you to be yourself but being a coach I came into it to answer your question about expectation thinking they're going to teach me everything about broadcasting right and they they I figured out after this first year they were smart enough to know if you're trying to teach someone in in their first year what these other broadcasters like when you're when you work with a play-by-play guy like Ian Eagle or um, Tom McCarthy, 
um, you know, uh, or Jim Nance. Those guys are so well trained. You can't approach it like they do. You, you, you've got to be more uh, off the cuff using your experience. So I learned the balance of preparation and really being yourself. I still have a lot to learn, but it was a lot of fun. I love doing the games and being at the different venues and atmospheres that being at a game like you're at Purdue, they're number one in the country, Michigan State's coming in and places rocking and you're down on the floor. That was so much fun. Being at the NCAA tournament at the Final Four, not having to worry about losing the game and just being able to enjoy <laughs> it with Kenny and Charles and Ernie uh, and Greg Gumbel, that, that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me whenever I listen to some of my interviews uh, with uh, the business uh, programs like uh, CNBC or uh, Bloomberg TV, I speak in slow motion compared to the anchors. Uh, so like, like you said, Jim Nance, he's so trained, exactly. so experienced, and there's no way uh, I'm going to keep up you exactly. know, with a Joe Kiernan or, or uh, exactly uh, Becky Quick. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I was trying to do the same thing. And it was interesting. The producers were always saying to me, uh, you know, don't don't worry about your preparation. I remember one producer, Mark Wolf, who does the Final Four. He called me at Friday at five o'clock and we had a Saturday noon game. We were in the hotel together and he said, put your preparation away, put your computer away. Let's go to dinner. Let's forget about the game. Let's just have some fun and be yourself tomorrow. And that was early. And, it, and at the beginning, I thought, he doesn't know me. I have to work. I have to prepare. But I realized he does know me and he does know the business. And just be yourself, right? That They have you on there for your knowledge and not for you to be a great broadcaster. What was the critical um, advice you got um, upon entering an arena to do a, a game. <laughs> Bill Raftery is the best. Find the scoreboard so you can always look up and know where it is and find the bathroom because at halftime you only have one chance. You can't leave if you got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, Jay, thank you so much. I, I, I want to end. Um, tell us, um, has retirement been good for your golf game? Not as good as I thought it would be, Hank. I thought... As soon as I started putting some time into this game, I would get big-time results immediately. It's like everything else in life. It is coming slowly. Uh, I'm making steady progress. I got a lot of work to do. But I am playing golf with a clear head. Uh, and I'm sure you know this. Uh, even when you play golf, you're always worried about what's going on and having for trust and where I've got to be next. I've got a little clearer head. I'm not worried about what's going on in recruiting, getting ready for the next game. So it's a lot more enjoyable. You're right. And a lot of golf courses won't let you take out a cell phone and check, yeah. the, check the stock market yeah, exactly. and, return, and return calls. Exactly. Some do, but uh, most don't. Well, thank you so much, Jay, for joining us today and sharing your insights on the critical role of succession planning and managing a basketball program and, and the culture uh, around that. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. It's great being with you, Hank. Thanks for listening to this episode of Speaking of Quality, Wealth Management Insights with Hank Smith. To hear future episodes of Speaking of Quality, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Haverford Trust Company, 
please visit www.haverfordquality.com. This podcast is provided as general commentary and market overview and should not be relied upon as research, a forecast, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt an investment strategy. Any opinions expressed are as of the date this podcast was recorded and may change at any time, and are the opinions of that commentator, not Haverford's. Any opinion or information provided are believed by Haverford to be reliable at the time of this podcast's recording, but are not necessarily all-inclusive or guaranteed for accuracy. Before making any financial decisions, please consult with an investment professional.